0: One time for your mind. I welcome you all back. Do you ever feel like work is consuming every bit of you? It's your time. It's your energy. It's your mental and physical health. It's your sense of purpose. Have you ever thought about how did we get to this point? Why does the week feel the way it does? Why does the weekend feel like it's this separate thing? Like it's this force of nature. Why does Friday night feel the way it does? You know, today I wanted to invite you on a little journey with me to break down what work exactly is. And, you know, a little a little bit of a disclaimer, I know that, you know, some of these uncomfortable truths that we may confront in the process will, you know, will, will, will feel a little bit real to you or make you feel like that, you know, that is something you can relate to. But, you know, rest assured, versus everything, we're not here about hopelessness and despair, as we go through these series, as we make our way through these concepts, we're here to figure out a better way to move forward, to hopefully spark that light to make those changes in in our lives and in, in society in general. So I wanted to invite you on this journey with me today as we look at the evolution of work as to what values have driven us to have this culture that we have and ultimately Provoke some thought around what we can do to make this better. I'm Architect AP and you're listening to Versus Everything. For us to understand who we are in this system and how we came to be the way we are, I think we need to go right back to the to the inception of the Industrial Revolution. And that was about the mid 18th century. So prior to that, humanity was actually in the big way, still in a kind of in the survival mode. We still, you know, like we often lived off the land and, you know, we farmed and a lot of our activities were either, you know, kind of agricultural craft based, you know, so you could, if you were farming, you could be working seven days a week for months on end, just, you know, during this um, harvest season. And then you could be out of work for a while because the harvest season's over, you know, and you lived off of what you harvested. Um, you could have been a craftsperson, you know, you could have been, say, a shoemaker, you know, you make shoes from top to bottom, from start to finish, you make shoes, you could, you know, you could be making pottery, you could be making tools, you could be a blacksmith, right? Right. Um, and at a certain point in mid-18th century, and it started in um, in the British Empire, it started in Britain, uh, there was a bit of a technological progress, right? We had the steam engine, and suddenly we decided, okay, we can make factories. And this is where the Industrial Revolution started, because um, rich people, essentially, the elites, um, they built factories, um, they started up factories, and they've they've started up factory lines so basically what that meant is you know if you take that the same shoemaker for example you now didn't have one guy that made shoes from start to finish you had a factory line you had a guy that made the soles you had the guy that made the shoelaces you had another guy gluing it all together and basically these guys would stay there and do this all day long Right, and this, you know, and they would do this under some brutal conditions as well. Because at the very start, you know, before we figured out that we needed laws and rules around this, these, you know, like these people were very exploited. It was people um, working like fourteen-hour day shifts, um, six or seven days a week. They were living in pretty, you know, bad conditions because you got you got to remember at the time these are people. That, you know, they weren't living in suburbs the way we are living now. They weren't living in these neighborhoods. They um, They would move closer to the factory to kind of live around it somewhere. But at the same time, they didn't have anywhere to live. So whoever owned the factory would often house these people. But they would house them in some pretty crappy conditions, and you know, at the same time, they didn't really look after the people when they were at work either. You know, they would work them until they collapse, and if they were to, for example, get injured at work by the machinery, you know, the the um the factory work, um the factory owners would care more about the machinery than they would about about the people. And, you know, at the time as well, there wasn't any, you know, there weren't any real laws around these things. So they could just let you go on the spot, say, well, you're injured. What good are you to me now? Off you go. I don't need you anymore. You know, so, same as um, same as pay. You know, there weren't any real laws around this. So, you know, they could, they could pay them as little as they want. It's like, well, if you don't like it, go somewhere else. I'll find another guy who wants a job. And, you know, having such a dynamic created a lot of civil unrest because people very quickly got tired of this. It started taking a a toll on their mental health and their physical health and their living conditions, and people started essentially revolting. And, you know, the ruling elites didn't like so much civil unrest, so basically, you know, as a compromise, they started coming up with all these kind of laws and rules um, around how how workers should be treated so this is when um, this is when things like you know the minimum wage came about so they said okay you have to pay them a minimum of that much so it doesn't feel like you know they don't feel like they're being exploited um, they said they set certain um, certain rules about the maximum working hours so this is the Industrial Revolution is where the 40-hour work week came out of you know the whole concept of a nine to five the Monday to Friday. You know, the two weeks, I'm sorry, the two days that you get at the end of the week to, you know, for rest and recreation, so to speak. So this is where the, this came out of. And, you know, these are the, these are the laws that kind of set the foundation for where we are today. And the further, you know, the further that went at the kind of, once it got to early 20th century, this is when the workers really started organizing. This is when workers got together and they started understanding their power in, you know, in in these dynamics. They started saying essentially, okay, look, well, you know, you may own the factory, but if we don't work... You're not getting any product out of this you're not making any money you're not selling anything you know so they've realized that power and it started trying to organize and you know this is where unions and things like that started um, started coming about and essentially you know like it wasn't it wasn't something that came about overnight there was actually a lot of struggle for the workers to get to that point there was a lot of um there was a lot of striking there was um the um these protests were often you know, like treated very violently. The um, the owners of factories, they would, um, they essentially they would turn to law enforcement and you know, kind of, kind of private hired muscle to try and disperse these things in a rather violent manner. And because these were matters be- between employer and employee, quite often, you know, nobody was really held responsible for you know for for these acts of violence, um. And as that went further though, um I think I think the work has still kind of persevered and they kind of unionized and they negotiated better better conditions for themselves. And essentially this is something I've mentioned in my um in my previous episode about generations where the urban migration started because now the conditions were actually sufficiently good enough for people to say, hey, okay, maybe I can, you know, move out of this kind of country farming lifestyle and I can move to a more urban area where there are factories and I can work at a factory because the living conditions would be better. I could make more money. I could have a more comfortable life. Um, and you know, you could say, I guess this, this was like one of the higher points, um, for the workers. I think, you know, like, again, to thinking back to the generational podcast that I had, I think this was, um, this would have been around the time of, you know, the pre-World War II and post-World War II. It was around that, you know, this whole silent generation um, around that time. And after that, I think this is what, you know, when these companies, when these companies kind of noticed that, okay, maybe if we actually treat our work as well, they'll be more productive we will grow we will sell at the same time the you know we if if you pay people these very same people will be able to buy things so you know the economy grew you know production went up cons- consumption went up and this is you know this is what gave rise to you know, this modern consumerism, you know, you work, you get paid, you spend money. Somebody makes this stuff somewhere. And at the same time as well, um, I think looking looking back around that time, this is when a lot of these companies started growing to the point where they decided that they needed to kind of create these corporate hierarchies. And this is where the corporations that we know of today Came about, you know, this whole like white collar worker class. These, you know, managers and strategists and office workers essentially. So, despite this, you know, regardless of what the company might be doing, everybody now has office workers, these clerical admin people, these um, strategists, these middle managers, etc. And this is, I think, when the the scales tipped once again because this is when the companies kind of figured out a way to reduce their accountability because you no longer were dealing with, you know, like this one guy that owns the factory, this kind of mogul. You're now dealing with these limited liability entities that are now kind of made up of directors and investors and shareholders. So there isn't really one person you can hold accountable for this. And anytime you kind of try to raise any issues, you have to go through so many circles of bureaucracies and, you know, basically all these people who point at each other saying, well, he's responsible for this. He's responsible for that. Don't look at me. So reality is, you know, it was a lot harder um, to solve these problems. And the only way that you could really do that is by having, um, by having some sort of legislation around this. Um, but moving forward, the kind of this new, this new corporate culture, it created a whole new class of worker. And when it grew to that extent, when even the, you know, the, the people in this kind of, shall we say the white collar class started feeling like cogs in the bigger machine in a similar way that, you know, the first workers felt, Things started getting bad again. You know, there were um, there was a lot of kind of you know disassociation this, this with these systems, and people just showed up and cut of check and went home. And again, productivity reduced. You know, and um, I think this you know like going back to again going back to the different generations. It's the generation that kind of had to work in cubicles. It's the you know the Fight Club generation. It's the Generation X that you know like when. When everything, when the corporates, when the corporates were kind of at their peak and you had all these like levels of managers or managers that were doing these kind of, you know, in the big scheme of things, meaningless jobs that, you know, like you were just sitting there stacking papers all day, answering emails, and you didn't really know what the, you know, what all that was for. You know, somebody, you know, somebody higher up than you did, you know, they realized that, oh, well, you know, it's a part of the process that makes us money. It makes us more efficient and productive. But from your point of view, you were just stuck in this cubicle doing the same repetitive thing. And it kind of started taking a massive toll on people's mental and, you know, mental and physical health again. So, you know, like this productivity fell. Um, I think, I think that was around the, you know, around that time, it wasn't so much any kind of civil unrest, but it was more so the the economy, the economic downturn that forced, um, that forced these corporations to kind of rethink the way they approach these things. So like, well, okay, these guys are getting sad and depressed and not being productive. How do we deal with this, right? And out of this, you know, came a lot of these movements around, you know, mental health and um, work-life balance, you know, again, like not... Unfortunately none of these things have ever come from a good place. A lot of them have come out from the from the you know, from the reaction of you know, of the kind of, of the top of the top of the chain of these corporations and saying, look, okay, we need to get these people working again. What can we do? You know, like we've tried a lot of things. We've tried Little, you know, office birthday parties and pizza parties. But well, you know, still not responding. Maybe it's because they're too isolated. Let's create open working spaces, you know. And now, and now we're starting to, you know, you're starting to understand where I'm headed because we're now talking about something a bit more modern. And you know, as we kind of progressed into this stage as well, I think it kind of came um, it came parallel to the technological progresses. So, you know, collaboration became a lot easier for us, you know, by way of emails and, you know, online communications. And, you know, there were certain jobs that were able to be done, you know, from home. You could work from home. You could decentralize some of these things um but with that being said uh i think this is you know this is when um the workers you know the workers again were kind of you know like they lost a bit of their power because because essentially as as accountability from these companies reduced, you know, because again, nobody was nobody was being held responsible for these things. At at worst, you know, like the if if a company got into trouble, they would just be fined. They'd take a bit of their money, but you know, it's business as usual the next day. Very you know, it's very rarely that a company would um get into trouble to such an extent that they would actually be, you know, not allowed to operate or, you know, would take some sort of serious penalty. So in a lot of ways it's kind of like, well, it's become a co you know, the cost of the cost of the game, really. Um and yeah, this kind of brings us to the modern age. And I think, you know, like we having having lived through Having lived through covid we you know we now have this whole concept of you know work life balance we kind of you know we're a lot more aware of these things you know for some reason it took us an entire lockdown to realize that maybe constantly being on call that maybe this this technology that kind of allowed us to be so efficient maybe is actually working to our detriment because we never disconnect because, you know, back in the day, you could just kind of clock in, clock out, and when you're done, you're done. Now, you, now you're now you taking this stuff with you home. Now you're checking emails at home. Now somebody can call you and say, oh, you know, where is this? Where is that? And, you know, they're disturbing your peace during, you know, during your own time, during your personal time that you meant to be using for your own kind of recreation and recovery. And, you know, like this kind of gave rise to a lot of, you um, you know to what we now call the gig economy. You know, so people are freelancing, people are kind of got all these side hustles and going from one to the other. But at the same time, this is this is the thing that also kind of led to the demise of unions. You know, to a lot of people these days, I think unions are you know quite a foreign concept. You know, we do, we haven't really grown up with unions, and they're not really as big of a thing these days either, unless maybe you know you're working as a nurse or as a teacher, you know, like we see, you know, like just this past week we've seen um, teachers striking, right. Um When, you know, when, when a certain, you know, when a certain profession gets together and tries to negotiate for better, um for better conditions, but laws are set up in such a way that, you know, for example, if you're considered some sort of a contractor where you're not a full-time employee, where you don't have, that job security, you know, where, you do, like, where, the, where they don't have to go through some sort of a process to let you go, well, that's what's up, you know, like if you don't like it, off you go, you know, casual contracts, zero hour contracts, things like that, these are the things that kind of really, you know, really work against the worker. And, you know, I think the, the key thing that I'm trying to, to kind of get to the bottom of, you know, do you, do you believe in life after work? You know, because when you think about it, that's all we do for, you know, for the big, for, you know, for a large amount of our lives, for, you know, for a big, for a big part of our lives, we spend, you know, we spend that time at work. We don't spend this time with our families, with our friends or, you know, doing doing the things we you know that we love and I mean I know people always talk about you know find the right job find what you're passionate about but ultimately every job becomes a job right you'll be lucky if you can actually find something that you like a hundred percent off but you know ultimately for the most part there will there will always be aspects of your job that you know that are gonna be hard and I think and I think primarily the biggest issue isn't so much you know the job itself Because, you know, we're all tough, tough people. we all can kind of endure and make these things work. And, you know, like a lot of people kind of try to romanticize the hustle. And at the end of the day, it can be done. But, you know, but you're also still having to deal with, you know, with these bosses, with these people that just don't seem to care for you very much. I think, you know, I think this is something that we're probably going to start noticing right about now again, actually, because, you know, you could see that our economy is um, headed for another recession. I think this, you know, but despite all that, despite the fact that, the, you know, there is an economic downturn, um, everybody is still trying to make profit. Everybody still expects growth, you know, year-on-year year growth. No one ever expects for things to slow down. Every year we need to hit it higher and bigger and bigger, you know, but everybody feels that way and everybody, fe- if everybody feels that way, you know, at which point do we kind of actually work off the economic cycle, right? So most likely at a certain point you may experience something with, you know, with a boss that is under a lot of pressure to hit these targets. And, you know, that stress is gonna be put on you, the worker. Because, you know, there's always that there's always this false mindset from, you know, from the kind of the top brass that if you make people really sweat for every dollar that they get somehow that will be more productive if you feel if you make people more stressed and that means you're getting more value for your money if you make people feel less secure about you know the kind of potential job cuts. In in your company, then they'll work harder and, you know, be more productive. But, you know, despite the fact that literally everything points the other way, that people work better when they're treated better, when they feel more secure, when they're allowed more time to rest and recover. For some reason, we just can't seem to get that through through our heads. Um, One of the latest trends that I've noticed, um, talked about, especially all over the internet, is the four-day work week. Which, you know, I've always thought to myself, it's actually not a bad idea because, you know, think about it. Like, you, every time the weekend ends, you think to yourself, like, if only I had just that one more day. And reality is because that's, you know, like in the world that moves so fast, you know, most of the time you're going to spend one whole day preparing for this next week. So really, reality is you only get one day. You know, you got that one day where you actually get to relax and then you spend the next day getting ready for the next week of work. And it's just an endless cycle, you know. And this is when people start to start talking about how you know, well, you weren't born to just kind of work, go and go into debt, work some more, and die. You know, this is when you know people's existence seems you know starts to feel so futile. So again, hopefully, you know, it gets through to people. Every research shows that it that it actually works. That kind of reducing, you know, reducing this need for just, you know, mere presence at work makes people more focused and more productive. You know, you can do more in the four days than you would in the five days because you're not sitting and sitting there mucking around at work. You know, you're not just biding your time. You're actually there doing something productive. But, you know, we, we shall see where this takes us. In any case, I hope this gave you some food for thought. This is something with, that we're going to build on as we go further. But, you know, this is just a taste. This is just me attempting to open up open up your life. You know, what is your life? Who are you? We've discovered what generations mean, why we feel and think the way they do. We now figured out how we work, how we got to the point, how we work. What's next? Find out on the next episode of Versus Everything. I'm Architect AP. One time for your mind. I'll catch you next time.